Welcome to the Townsend Institute podcast series, Tips, a show produced by the Townsend Institute at Concordia University, Irvine. This podcast provides tips into leadership, coaching, and counseling topics aimed at helping listeners grow in both their personal and professional lives. I'm Dr. John Townsend, psychologist, organizational consultant, and author of over 30 books, including the New York Times bestselling Boundaries series. I'm also the founder of the Townsend Institute, and I'm excited to introduce your podcast hosts, Townsend Institute Program Directors, Dr. Ashley Andrew and Dr. Gilbert Fugit. Hello, listeners. We have a special guest on the podcast today, Townsend Institute fellow Ron Deal. He is one of the most widely read and viewed experts on step families. As founder of Smart Step Families, the author of more than a dozen books, including Building Love Together in Blended Families. His latest book is for engaged couples and premarital counselors titled Preparing to Blend. That's right. Ron is a licensed marriage and family therapist and host of the podcast, Family Life Blended. His blended family principles and ministry strategies have been utilized by leading marriage and family ministries all across the world, including in our Townsend curriculum here at Concordia, Irvine. So let's get started. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Townsend Institute podcast series. Gilbert and I are joined in studio here today with Ron Deal. We're so excited Mm -hmm. to talk with one of our Institute fellows here today. So, Ron, welcome. Will you start by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself? I'd be happy to. Thanks for having me. It's an (laughs) honor to be here. Um, So, I work with Family Life. Family Life is a almost 50-year marriage and family ministry that works around the world doing marriage education, parent training, curriculum for churches, lots of stuff, national radio broadcasts. And I run the division called Family Life Blended. We specialize in helping stepfamilies and church leaders who serve them. So, 24-7, 24-7, we are thinking about resources and tools for couples, couples thinking about marriage, already married, whatever it is, that, wherever they are in their journey, mm-hmm. as well as leaders, student ministry leaders, senior pastors, anybody in between, counselors, people who are just helping people do life. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to help the church think more about blended families when they do their programming. And so we work on many, many levels. Wow. It seems like I... There's such a broad reach of people mm. that, you know, especially now with step families and how it's all permeated throughout our, our culture. What got you interested in this world of step families? You know, a lot of times people, when they specialize in something, it comes out of their own personal story, sometimes out of personal pain. That's not my story. Like a lot of ministry leaders or counselors, you find yourself dealing with situations you've never lived through your, yourself, but you could sort of relate to it, but your job is to step in. And that's how I got started. So I was a youth pastor, my first job. And I tell people I knew enough about kids to be dangerous. I did not know enough about their family system to understand the context in which they lived and why they did the things that they did. So it didn't take me long to figure out I needed more schooling. So I went back, got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. But the whole time I was going through that program, I was thinking, I don't want to just be a clinician. I'd like to come out and work in a family ministry context where I can do as much prevention or more prevention than just cure. And so, yeah, that's what I did. Um, Stepped out and worked 20 plus years at that point in local churches, doing marriage, family, parenting, singles, dating, premarital slash single parent ministry and step family ministry. And I was just dumb enough to try because I knew the need as a as a therapist, I understood step family 
de- uh, development and step, step family struggles, what I had to figure out is how to translate that into a educational setting and a ministry setting mm-hmm. to prevent problems rather than just fix them. And so that started for me, that journey in 1993. And I stumbled my way into doing some things that kind of worked. And you know, eventually somebody heard about it and said, hey, would you write an article on that? And would you come speak at our ministry thing about that? And slowly but surely over a period of time, it took over my life. Uh-huh. And it just became my heart's passion because there was such a need, and there still is. If I could just say to everybody, anybody <laughs> listening right now, you know, it's amazing. 40% of all parents raising kids are step families. of parents raising kids are blended family. There's a step relationship somewhere in that family system. 113 million adults in the United States have a step relationship. That's 35% of every man, woman, and child. And our estimate is another 100 million Americans know and love somebody who is in a blended family situation. So if it's not you, it's somebody you care about, your neighbor, your best friend at church, or whatever it might be. And, And yet... Less than 1% of churches will do anything in a given calendar year to even mention the word step family, let alone do a workshop or have a class or something. It's a very, very small number. Clinicians are dealing with this every single day. Mm -hmm. It is the makeup of who they deal with over and over again. And we've had very little um, education or training permeated into the professional and ministry community around this subject. Family life is one of the we're one of the largest marriage and family ministries, nonprofits in the United States. We are the only ministry, to my knowledge, and I'd love for somebody to tell me you're wrong about this, Ron, <laughs> but we're the only ministry in the world that I know of that has people, staff, and budget aimed at blended families in That's the wonderful. world. Oh, I had two emails yesterday to do podcasts from Australia. People are in need. People want to have help. And the churches, we are so positioned. You want to talk outreach? My goodness. Nobody in your city is probably, most likely, hardly anybody is doing anything to help step families. Just imagine if you were the first one. Just imagine mm-hmm. the message you could give, the, the, what that communicates about you as a church, uh, how you understand or compassionate about people's lives. You get their language. You understand their circumstances. And all of a sudden, you're the only help that's available. Like, just imagine. If you could be first. Yeah. yeah. And so there's tremendous outreach potential. We just need people who are open and willing to learn something about it. Well, that's a great story. And you mentioned that this all stemmed, you know, going back to 1993. So 30 years. Yeah, for me. Congratulations on yeah. that. 30 years, Thank which is you. amazing. Um, I can say that your work is permeating through some of the culture. I know it's permeating mm-hmm. here through our counseling programs at the mm-hmm. Townsend Institute. It's it's ingrained in some of the curriculum. You, of course, have been speaking to over 100 of our new students that are joining and us here on fun. campus. Wow, they were a great group. <laughs> oh, I bet. Lots I bet. of energy. It, yeah. was, it was wonderful. Lots of energy. So as you go out then into these communities... And to these churches, what are some of the tips and best practices that you're recommending to them? Okay, well, let's think ministry for a second or organizational leadership. Um, if you're in you know, a secular work environment, I guarantee a number of the people working with you or under you, around you, are part of a blended family something or another. So just having a sensitivity is a great first start. Tyson Foods brought me in not too long ago to train uh, some of their HR people in their um, plants all over the United States so that they could have a sensitivity to just understanding what's going on with their employees because Mm -hmm. it's so common. Ministry leaders, same thing. 
So for example, a student ministry um, or children's ministry, have just, you know, one day educate your leaders or teachers, hey, you know what? Dad may drop off and mom may pick up. Right. You know, just think about that for a minute. Sometimes church is the point of visitation yes. or custody exchange. And so like, do leaders understand that? And is it okay for anybody to just come pick up? And what is the protocol there? And a lot of people just don't think through those little details, but that's a simple example. A bigger example is a, a adult education programs. You don't necessarily have to have an entire blended family small group, though we have a bunch of curriculums to help you do that, but just in your marriage small group or in your adult ed small group to just have leaders who are aware that not everybody's living in the same sort of family context. And so how do they seed in questions or dialogue or bring it up and then not ignore the biblical text when the Bible talks about it? And so many stories, most of the families in the Old Testament are blended families of a different shape or color, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they're multiple spouses. And so it's a little different than what we're dealing with today, but the dynamics are the same. Jacob and his family with four wives that he didn't really want except for one and with <laughs> one kid. I mean, the story of Joseph yeah. is about the half-brother born into a crazy dysfunctional blended family that got everything and everybody else didn't. That's why his brothers are so angry at him. So when he comes home with the coat, that's just a straw that breaks the camel's back. Wow. This is a step-family story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there's another story about this guy uh, born in the world, Messiah, Jesus. Yeah, he had a step <laughs> Um So think we about heard it. Of, we've heard of him here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he has, we know two stories about Joseph. And in both of those stories, it becomes very clear to him, he's not the dad. Think about that. Story number one is, mm, she's pregnant. It's not yours, but you need to step in and be the guy. He was walking away. He didn't want anything to do with it. Not his kid, not his responsibility. Guess what? Step parents who come in and choose to love somebody who's not there. Think about the nobility of that. Yeah. That showed you something about his heart, right? That's story number one. Story number two is we've lost the kid. Where is he? Looking for him for three days. And Jesus, as I like to say, came back and he said, where were you? And he goes, I was at my dad's house. I mean, Joseph is reminded, you're not the dad. Yes. You are number two. You're not the number one father in this little narrative. Now, we all know Jesus wasn't snideful when he, when he yeah. said that to Joseph, because the next verse says he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So I'm sure there's a great deal of respect. But Joseph has to be constantly reminded that he is not the father. Now, just think about that for a minute. You pay for everything. You have all the responsibilities and obligations day in and day out, on and on and on and on it goes, and yet you don't hold or, or, or maintain that place of honor in the child's heart. That's a strange and different dynamic than being a biological parent. This is the kind of thing we just help people understand about step parenting so they don't go in with super high expectations mm -hmm. and then get disappointed at the end of the day. So, I mean, these are just sort of, you know, beginnings of orienting people around the realities of people's lives so that you can be of service to them in whatever capacity yeah, you, you play. I know, I, I, as you're th saying, you know, talking about this, Ron, it, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just kind of playing back the churches and things I've been involved. I just can't think of a, a ministry activity we did that was focused on step families. Mm -hmm. What yeah. a miss. Yeah. What a miss. And, and, and it's not that hard. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, we just have to think about it a little bit. And then once you're aware, then all of a sudden you can begin to say, okay, what can we do in this next little endeavor? Yeah. 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 Well, when you're working with Steph families, because you're, you're a therapist and all, um, how do you start? Mm. Oh, 
Where do, you, where do you even go? All right. So let's just say a couple calls and they say, you know, we've been married about six months and we're, we're struggling just a little bit with what's going on in our family. So could you help us out? Um, the first thing I'm going to do is probably just see the couple. Hmm. Uh, be, and here's what's going on. I'm assessing the nature of their relationship. How strong is their usness? Because here's the thing. This is true of all families. It is three times as important in blended families. The couple's relationship has to be the thing that leads and guides the family into the journey of familiness. Let me pull back just a second. Coupleness does not necessarily equal familiness when it comes mm. to step families. Huh. Man and woman fall in love. Their assumption is our kids will come along because we love each other, they'll love each other. That is a huge assumption. Sometimes that happens very naturally on its own. Kids fall in love with each other, step siblings, or fall in love with their step parent. And it's a pretty smooth process. But for most blended families, that's a journey to find that family identity. As a matter of fact, on average, it takes five to seven years, years. Wow, five to, to establish seven years. that sense of identity for adults and children. That now, they're a family. That's right. right. Wow. It, now, in other words, the bondedness, the relationships are there. And I think of you as family in my life. Mm. Five to seven years. Now, no couples, unless they've been educated, Walk in assuming it's going to be that much of a journey. So if it doesn't happen in six months, they're very disillusioned and they call. So I'm going to say, you guys come in and I'm going to look and listen and assess their relationship and strength. I'm going to assess what's going on through their eyes. Tell me about the kids. Tell me about the backstory. Oh, you've got an ex. Tell me about him. What's he like as a dad to the children? What's your custody arrangement? How's that go? Um, oh, we have a really good co-parenting relationship. Wonderful. That's a good plus. Oh, we have a horrible co-parenting relationship. We hate each other and the kids uh, just try to dodge bullets as they move back and forth between our home. Oh, that's a huge uh, problem. Not only for, let me just give you an example. So let's say woman and ex-husband and she's here, the woman's here with her new husband. And, and not only is the, the battle going on with the former spouse a problem for the kids, it ripples into the new step relationship. So her children are going to find it more difficult to bond and connect with their stepdad. Right. If there's war going on and, and a whole lot of loyalty issues going on with them and their biological dad. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Why would I love the new guy when I really want to love the old guy? Right. Right. The one who's there, the number one position in my heart, my dad. And yet there's dif difficulty here. And mom is derogatory about dad, but then she says to us, you need to love your stepdad. I don't think so. You know, it, it feels like I'm giving up on dad to love stepdad. That's what we call a loyalty bind for children. They can't win for losing in that space. But then mom's upset that they don't get on board with the new family. Stepdad's trying. He's a wonderful guy. He teaches, as I like to say, the men's Bible class at church every 6 a.m. every Wednesday morning. He's a very godly, high character person. But he can't make children love him. That happens on their timing, not on his time. So now he's frustrated, right? And he's trying. He, he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he very well might be. But it's not up to him. It's up to them. They have to co-create a sense of familiness, and that only comes with time. So it's all of those little layers of complexity that I'm trying to assess and get a, a sense of, and then I'm going to decide who I begin to work with and how. Uh, one of the overarching things we teach students, and by the way, I got to throw in um, two or three times a year, I do virtual training for step family yes. therapists who want to join our network of Christian step family therapists, the only one in the world. We'll put you on a list for the rest of your life so people can find you if you'll go through this 12 hour training. The next one I'm going to do is in November 2023. It is 
Uh, let me pull up the details. November 16 and 17. So people can just go to smartstepfamilies.com and you'll find all the information to be a part of that. So one of the things and, I'll and, teach... And you said 12 hours, right? It's 12 hours, two so, days. So they're pretty prepared, we're right? We're diving in. We're yeah. going gonna to go deep. This is not a little one-hour workshop. Yeah. Like we're really going to unload and unpack. What a way to equip, yeah. Exactly. And so the whole idea is um, I'm going to teach you how to think of the uh, multi... Layered, multi-relational, multi-household, stepfamily, divine, you know, dad's house, mom's house, maybe new stepdad's former spot. So maybe there's three or four houses going on here, uh, as well as multi-generational parents and grandparents and step-grandparents. Like you, you have to go up and we, we say they're tall and wide. Yeah. <laughs> right. So there's all kinds of little pieces there. And we're going to unpack those little subsystems. And we're going to say, how do you put subsystems together slowly over time, considering the grieving process going on in adults and children, the bonding attachment challenges, pain from the past, how does that prevent us from connecting in the present? And we're going to just unpack all the layers and then show people that, that process of trying to help families come together. And then once they do that, they can get in, be on the list, to, uh, and then people that have stepped family issues will reach out. It's the only referral network in the world for Christian step-family therapists. Wow. Wow. And, and I, I think about it, some reality shows, they'll marry people off in less than 12 hours. I mean, that's, uh, you guys, you guys. <laughs> and, and, and see, This is time well spent. Yeah, this exactly, is... <laughs> exactly. And let me just speak to that for a minute, because now I'm talking to somebody who does premarital mentoring or counseling in a church. And the way we do premarital counseling has not changed in 70 years. Mm-hmm. We assume you're getting married and husband and wife, I'll call it usness, is all that is important to the conversation. Now, imagine the guy who came to one of my workshops and he and his wife, when they got married, had 19 children, 19 between the two of them. Wow. Imagine him walking in for premarital counseling and you treat him as if he's 25, getting married for the very first time. You have completely missed the boat. Right. We don't just equip people for marriage. We have to now equip them for familyness which is parenting, co-parenting, grief, and the journey of sadness in children and in adults, and how that plays a role in the bonding process in new families. Money, let's think about money, yours and mine, your investments, my investments. How do we merge that? Do we merge that? Do we just keep them separate? Are we going to have 12 bank accounts? Are we going to have one bank account? I mean, think of the layers here, and we treat them like they're getting married for the first time, and we never talk about anything else. The reason. The divorce rate for blended family couples is higher than it is for couples in first marriages, is all the layers of complexity that they don't see coming. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to help them, equip them to do life and do it well, and by the way, healthy blended families are marvelous for everybody involved, then we've got to equip them to understand what they're actually living. Yeah. So many layers that you're sharing with us here today, and then you add on top of that all the cultural factors, right? Mm. You've been doing this for for 30 years, but Mm -hmm. now you've got the influences of just, you know, society and technology and all these other things that are also going to have an impact on the family system. That is a fabulous question. Here's two new trends that we're dealing with in our ministry. One, um, later life couples getting married, forming multi-generational stepfamilies. Let me explain. So somebody was married for 30 years and a spouse died. Tons of people at the age of 70 or plus are getting married again. And they think, oh, our kids are adults. They're going to be fine with this. Guess what? Uh, The kids go through just as big of an adjustment as when their parent died. 
Hmm. right? Because this is now the formation of an entirely new family that ripples into their life and their children's, the grandchildren's lives. So imagine you're 35, you got two kids of your own, you're trying, you got a mortgage, you're trying to do life. And mom just married a guy who has three children of his own and six grandchildren. Imagine going home at Thanksgiving. Hmm. It's not going home. The family, you, the house you grew up in is not the house you grew up in. There's 12 people there. You don't even know. Mm. This affects everybody's life, right? So later life step families, we call them, uh, is a huge phenomenon that's growing over time. The second thing is culture. So many people today are cohabiting and just kind of giving up on marriage or try, trial marriage, however you want to describe it. And then there are the blended families who say, yeah, we're just not even going to do that. We're going to get married, but you're going to keep your residence and I'm going to keep mine. Mm. So he lives with his kids in their residence and she lives with her kids in her residence. They don't even try to combine. They're, what they're acknowledging is um, it might be too hard. It's easier if you just stay there and I'll stay here. We'll get together a few times a week and have conjugal visits or take the kids over and uh, you know have dinner at one household. But then they all go back. It's as if you're still dating, yeah. but now you got a ring on your finger. It's not a good idea, right? I just, what's the point of that? Where's this going? Now, I can understand, we tell families, we can understand that in a transitional sense. Yeah. You got a kid who's, who's 18, finishing high school. Right. Let them finish, for yeah. crying out loud. Yes. Then do any sort of, tra- yeah, that's, I don't have any qualms with that, but this is the way we're going to do it till, the, till Jesus comes. <laughs> I'm not so sure that's a good idea. You're, you're basically giving up before you've even tried to merge your family together. Those are cultural oh, wow. trends and things that are entering into the picture. Uh, our ministry has been invited into Latin America in a big way over this last year. And there's even more cultural things we're going to have to figure out there. We have a lot of men who have two families uh, going at the same time. They have their wife, and then they have the other <laughs> and have children with the other. And sometimes one of those is on the American side of the border, and one of them is on the southern side of the border. So uh, challenges everywhere trying to bring the heart of Christ for, for marriage and family into those environments. It's not easy. And sometimes I think that's why leaders avoid this. Mm. It's like, yeah, I ain't nobody got time to retool and understand that. Like, we'll just farm it out to Ron and his friends. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, but no, I think you need to at least be equipped on a, on a reasonable level in order to be able to connect with people and yeah, if you want to point them towards a resource, understandable. You don't have to be an expert, but you at least need to understand it a little bit. And I'm wondering, Ron, are some church leaders afraid to open that box, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't actually want to know what's going on in their members' uh, lives because they don't, they don't know what to do with that. I think there's, yes, and there's different parts of the box. One is the intimidation factor. This yeah. feels like a lot. And what I say to pastors is, yeah, so as you listen to me talk, if you're feeling a little intimidated, imagine what the couple feels. They've got their heart set on this thing, and they can't figure it out. So yeah, there's a something there. I, I do think also with with Christian um, people, there's the questions about divorce and remarriage, and y- you know those are really important questions, and we should have good answers, mm-hmm. and that should inform if our theology should inform our practice, and at the same time, whatever we decide should be. We need to mitigate with mercy for what is. And that's where I think some people get stuck. They say, well, that should, the divorce and remarriage, that shouldn't happen under these circumstances. And so we're, we're against that. Okay, so what's your point? We're going to sit back and do nothing? Right. Like, when have we ever decided to not 
deal with sinful people. Mm-hmm. I always say, you know, if, if you're going to take that approach, you might as well shut the doors of your church because exactly. you have people coming every week who yeah. think they're going to go to heaven. And I don't know if we want them believing that because, you know, there's sin in their life. So a uh, little sarcasm. Uh, you know, this is what we do every day. So yes. why is this any different? Well, uh, you know, we just have to sort of wrestle with the theological matters and then say, yes, we're still going to come alongside and try to point people to things that are redemptive. That's so great, Ron. And, and obviously you are one of those resources mm-hmm. going into these churches, doing all the work that you do. I know you've shared a couple of your books with us here today, Preparing to Blend and The Smart Step Family. What additional websites and resources do you recommend for whether it's the church leaders that are listening, that are yeah. looking to start one of these ministries in their church, or even some of our listeners right now who are going through that blending process, yeah, that smart, step family blending process. Smartstepfamilies.com. That's my site where you can go and get in touch with everything we're doing from podcasts on a regular basis for couples and for leaders to live events, virtual events. Uh, we do once a year a ministry equipping event. Thursday, October 12th, 2023 will be virtual. So you can be anywhere in the world and participate in our ministry equipping. We have an online certificate program in blended family ministry. You can do it at your own pace. And then we also have live events for couples. Every spring, we do a live stream that churches can host. Basically, it's a one-day marriage seminar for blended family couples, specifically for them. You can host it for 99 bucks. Wow. Don't give me any excuses. You can come up with 99 bucks. Yeah. Right? We make it possible for you to have programming when you otherwise wouldn't know how to do that. We have eight different video series you can use to do small groups and educational classes with. All kinds of resources. Nine different books. Uh, make that. 12 different book or booklet resources, all kinds of stuff. So now there's there's resource, There's really no excuse now. That's right. There's no excuses for all that. And I'm glad you said that because 30 years ago when I started down this road, people complained all the time. Where are the Christian yeah. resources? Yeah. And they were right to complain. There wasn't any. That's simply not true anymore. We've put out more resources in our ministry in the last five years than the entire Christian community did over the last 30 years. Uh-huh. And we're still pushing we're still plugging away. Uh, it's easy. It's accessible. Like I said, podcasts are free. Live streams that are often very cheap or nothing. Yeah. Ministry training that's very reasonable priced and accessible online. You don't have to just kind of flounder anymore. Yeah. Well, and so you've been doing this for 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. What have you began to rethink as uh, in the step family uh, therapy mm. world? You know... <sighs> The principles have held true. We've had good research on blended families for a long time, and there's more coming out, trickling out in the, in the even secular uh, research world. Um, it's really more about equipping and training and putting it together. And one of the things I'll say to clinicians when we do our training is you don't have to become a totally different therapist. Who you are and the basic theoretical pinnings of your work is who you're still going to be. But what I'm going to now do is layer in an understanding of the dynamics going on within blended families for any individual. If you're working with kids or a teenager or adults, couples, whatever it might be, and how you can layer in those understandings into the clinical approach that you take. And so it's user-friendly in that way. It's not like you have to become somebody new. That's not it at all. This is Mm -hmm. continuing ed stuff. But to really get tooled and think it through and have some, um, some essential responses to help people, it, it just, it will do wonders for your clients. That's great. 
That's so great, Ron. So as we close out here, you've shared so much great information for us. I know Gilbert and I are are, are taking notes and, and learning as we go. And I know our listeners are too. So appreciative for the time that you spent, not just with our Townsend students on campus this week, but also with us here today on the podcast. What's a good takeaway tip you can leave our listeners with? Mm. You know, so many things that if you're like me, you didn't grow up in a blended family, you don't live in one now, and you're like, I don't get all this stuff. Seems so foreign to me. Well, there may be some things in your life that are not so foreign that you can draw on and you'll discover that it's I'll give you two examples. Um, mother-in-law, father-in-law. If you're married, <laughs> you probably have one of those, a mother-in-law and a father. And uh, I was telling the group yesterday. You know, and, and mine are wonderful, by the way, because <laughs> okay. they listen to the spot. too. Yeah, perfect. What, wonderful. Awesome. <laughs> I, man, you just got points right there. So, it, you know, what do you call your mother-in-law, father? You call your mother-in-law mom? Well, when we asked the group yesterday, uh, not many hands went up. You know, it's sort of like you have a different term for that person in your world and in your life. Right. Because there's a different level of connection in that relationship than you have with your biological mom. There's a huge loyalty to your mom. I say there's one mom in your heart, that's it, till, till death. Now, you can have other significant people who are mom mentors, grandmothers, somebody who comes along who's a coach or a counselor or a friend who is huge influence in your life, but they don't replace mom. All right, well, that is similar to what it's like to build a relationship with a step-sibling, with a step-parent or step-child. They're family, but not biological family. And you still got to figure out what we're going to call each other and what's the nature of our relationship. And over time, just like with a mother-in-law, that the, the term you use may morph and evolve because the, there's greater depth in the relationship. Likewise, step-parents, step-children may call each other by first names when they first come in, if, into a family. But over time, that can change dr- dramatically sometimes. And so terms represent the evolving nature of the relationships. And when you accept that, Mm-hmm. Now you can see how, oh, yeah, that's similar to what happens in a stepfamily. And so you can draw on what you do know to figure out and help somebody wrestle with something they don't know. Such great information. Draw on what you do know to help with what you don't know. I, that's a great that is a great, that's a great quote. That's a great tip. Great takeaway tip. Thank you so much, Ron, for, for your time here today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Special thanks to Gadessa Labawa, CY alumni, for the Tips Podcast Music. If you enjoy the Townsend Institute podcast series, head to our website, cuy.edu slash Townsend, to find out more about the certificates or bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degrees offered through Concordia University, Irvine, with programs in organizational psychology, mental health counseling, executive coaching consulting, and organizational leadership, we have a variety of faith-based programs dedicated to helping you fulfill your academic and professional goals, all while further developing your competence and character. Again, that's cui.edu slash Townsend.